Hello, and welcome to Confidently Wrong, a show by regular dudes talking with confidence about content we have no right to speak about with any kind of authority, but do it anyway. I'm Wesley Nakamura, and I'm joined by award-winning director Brian Redondo and Savan Jones, aka Captain Vani. This is episode 69, and we delight in the bonkersness of The Boys Season 3, and we are proud to bring you another highbrow, Hi Brian, which will have you really thinking about science fiction in film. I'm confident that it's going to be the best show you've ever listened to, and well, hey, if it's not, you can always ask us for a refund. Incredible! Gentlemen, welcome back to our newest episode of Confidently Wrong. Welcome, welcome. Um, surprise, surprise. Guess who's not here, guys? Um, well, Brian's here. Savant's here. Hey. Wes is clearly here. So, who's not here? Mike. Mike, where are you, Mike? Six man of the year. The Kyrie <laughs> Irvin of the Confidently Wrong pod. Wow. <laughs> He's almost like the Green Ranger. Yeah, he's a Power Ranger. Remember the Green Ranger would only like rarely show up? Yeah. And, like, and granted, when the Green Ranger showed up, it was like a big appearance because they were like, oh, snap, it's the Green Ranger. We getting it in. Or the but, White Ranger, right? Oh, yeah, but I didn't want to just call Mike the White Ranger. <laughs> I was trying. I, I thought about it, and I was like... Cause I don't want to shade. I'm like, that's a com- it's a compliment, Mike. I swear. <laughs> Being called the Green Ranger, every kid wanted to be the Green Ranger. It's true. Tommy so, was Tommy was the man. Oh yeah. So do we see you often? Maybe not. But when he comes, boy, the gravitas and the, <laughs> the weight and presence is there. So today isn't one of those days. Can't wait to see you next time, big baby. <laughs> all right we'll get mike we'll get mike back on this show at some point soon about being a good friend being supportive and doing weddings and stuff oh he's yeah like, he's doing know, something important we'll give him a hard time but it's all love <laughs> all right he's got an actual social life and actual mm-hmm. you know actual commitments that he's got to do all right on this episode we are going to talk about the boys season three it actually kind of snuck up on me i saw some um some previews a few weeks ago but i didn't realize they were coming out this soon they actually decided to drop the first three episodes already all at once. Um, at the time we're recording, we're recording the day um, or two days after they dropped the first three episodes. We've actually only watched the first episode. So we'll talk about that. Um, Savan got a little bit ahead. I think Savan watched all three. So he may drop some spoilers in from the other two episodes. But we'll try We'll try and stick it to episode one only. I'll send and, to the spoilers. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll we'll talk about episode one is with some spoilers there, but I think that's okay given that it's not going to spoil the whole season for anybody, and it's a lot of stuff that we already kind of knew from before. So pretty dope. The first episode grabs you by the testicles right away. Oh man! By the prostate <laughs> and just completely shakes the hell out of you through the whole thing. It was a crazy ride. Talk about commitment to the bit, man. They they took the. Body explosions, jokes. body dismantlings, uh, you know, the comedy, the the gro- you know, grotesqueness, the uh, gratuitous nudity, and they just continued to dial it up. I mean, they just, you know, a little bit more and a little bit more from previous seasons. Only home run swings on the boys. Yo, you know, we, talk- we talked about other, other shows and other movies sort of feeling like they kind of dabbled or they-, they kind of felt like they were going in a couple different directions, but the best entertainment at least on tv and probably in books too but the the best entertainment we've seen has been really the people that have created shows and movies that really just lean in a hundred percent into a feeling or a tone or an aesthetic you know we're thinking 
the Batman sort of had this, at least in the first part of the movie, Peacekeeper and Suicide Squad had this from James Gunn. Yeah, just, it's like the opposite of Doctor Strange, right? <laughs> yeah, it really, just that like torn nature of Doctor Strange trying to please a whole bunch of different storylines and people just, you know. <laughs> Brian, why would you bait him like that? <laughs> we, can't, not, we can't not the have The boys is a now. great counterexample, I think. <laughs> and And it's not that the boys is... A hundred percent, like you know, Oscar-winning, Emmy-winning kind of material here. It's just that it knows what it wants to be. It's not apologetic about it, and it just goes a hundred percent for for the throat there. So, uh, let's get into it. So far, what has been your reaction to the first episode? What have you thinking um, in season three? How is it going for you, Brian? Where are you at? You know, I I haven't honestly thought about the boys in quite some time. And so to just jump right into episode one and be inside another man's urethra <laughs> for a long period Stroking of time. Stroking and caressing it, Brian. Termite. Termite is climbing. <laughs> well, not only not only like in there, like they really set that up like you know, he shrunk down. You see all of, like the drug paraphernalia giant next to him on the table, shallow depth of field. And oh, what's that in the background? An enormous pee hole. <laughs> like, good Lord. And, you know, it's like from a vantage that nobody on Earth has ever seen before. Like, they totally imagine this thing. Like, yes, that's, that's what a pee hole looks like uh, from this angle. And he climbs inside and starts stroking the inside of this man's urethra and, and in a in you know for sexual pleasure too <laughs> which while watching it i was just like that's gotta hurt there's there's no way that that is pleasurable at all that's that's as if kidney stones are you know sexually gratifying i i don't think anyone has co- walked away from kidney stones thinking that but maybe the so, cocaine helps i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah cocaine's a hell of a drug like clearly <laughs> I guess, you know, like uh, sometimes you just got to go to new heights. So and that's that's exactly the boys season three in a nutshell so far in a pea shell. You know, they're you know, they're really just like going for it. You know, they have to top themselves constantly and bring bigger and bigger set pieces, go wilder and wilder. And and so I I think, yeah, it's kind of it was like kind of a rush of excitement. Like, wow, this show is is so Silly, but smart at the same time. 100% commitment, as you said, Wes. And I know they're setting us up for more. So in episode one, we get a lot more of Vat CEO, whose name I don't know. I only know him by Gustavo Fring. And, <laughs> you know, he's running Vat and he is he's trying to get the Department of Defense or the government or whatever to buy into Vat's newest product a variant of of compound V or whatever mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. chemical is called compound V and so they've got V24 now which is some sort of chemical that allows its user to get superpowers for only a temporary period basically they you know they want to allow the government to have super soldiers but to be able to rein them in right they won't run amok like the seven or anything like that, because they'll only have temporary powers. So I know that that essentially is what's going to pay off later throughout this season. People are going to be trying V24. There's going to be some bonkers powers that come out. 
and come out in ways that are probably really unexpected and they don't know how to use them <laughs> and things are just going to you know turn into anarchy and and somehow it's all going to remind us of how chaotic and absurd our own political socio-political climate here is in the real world um so yeah i i'm glad that the boys is back <laughs> Savan? and thinking about just what i've what i've been enjoying most what i've been I think what I enjoy most is, and Wes, again, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, is a lot of superhero media. Naturally, I love a good storyline, good character interactions, but the superhero genre lends itself to really fun action sequences because you have people with these fantastic abilities, right? And part of the entertainment is seeing people do these fights and battles that could never occur in real life. So when you see Avengers in-game and Justice League type battles, it's just a level of eye candy that other genres by design aren't going to always be able to give you, right? And The Boys is so interesting in that for a show that's so hyper-violent, it doesn't make its bones off of action sequences at all. All of what makes The Boys so good is, surprisingly enough, the character interactions and the dialogue and the conversations. And you start to realize that The Boys is a drama more than anything else. And there's really not a lot of superhero sequences happening. There's people getting violently murdered, but they're not really superhero scenes. They're more akin to like a horror movie type scene or like a really adult comedy central movie, right? And so I say all that to say what I've been loving most about The Boys is every scene and dialogue between characters has weight to it and has tension to it. And Homelander, as despicable of his antagonist and character he is, is one of the best characters in anything I've ever watched at just making you uncomfortable with every scene he's in. Because, and shout out to Anthony Starr, who's just a sensational actor. Again, a great actor can just take a good, take something that's good and make it great. He just makes you uncomfortable. You've seen what he's capable of. You've seen all the awful things that's happened to him. You might have to watch a recap to know just why, how thrown off he is. But even that scene, you know, where... He just decides, okay, I'm unhappy. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna psychologically torture everybody who I work with. I'm gonna be the most toxic work member ever. You know, that scene where he <laughs> grabs a train and he starts just like body shaming him. I was like on my couch, physically uncomfortable, like, oh my God, this is that's not a, you know, that's not a that's not a superhero action sequence. That's just a super powered bully threatening somebody because his world's falling apart. And that's really, really captivating entertainment. Again, I, and I say this is like a superhero genre, like junkie. This is like the stuff that's drag, driving me in isn't the stuff you'd see normally in a good superhero show. Well put. Well put. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Amazon's other show, Invincible, right? Like, I feel like <laughs> Invincible and the boys are two sides of the same coin where they're both, they're both really just taking the superhero genre and taking all those tropes and presenting them in ways that you probably haven't thought about. Uh, because the MCU is what it is, and and so they're they're showing you different vantage points, and and the boys, it's like, well, there are there can be superheroes, and here's how awful that could actually be, right? Especially in the type of world that we live in, um, and we get a lot of you know similar things in, in Invincible, uh, and so I think like to me that you know bringing those characters into situations that would that would never happen in the MCU but they happen here in the boys like the body shaming scene they take on like so many new layers of of 
significance uh, because they're just playing with all of our expectations. Um, and by putting it in this like lens of, you know, super powered individuals where everything is hyper, uh, it just makes it that much more intense. Boom. The boys has never been afraid to get graphic sexually, violently, whatever. Has there been any moments where you've been like taken aback or cringed or smiled or just enjoyed like the complete over the topness of of the violence in this show? Yeah, you know, honestly, and this might feel like a cop out answer. And maybe it's because I'm desensitized because I've seen a lot of just like violent stuff. And, you know, some make me more comfortable, uncomfortable than others. The violence in the boys, as ridiculous as it is, it's so over the top that it's almost how the Peacemaker show was where it, you know, it's so over the top that that actually makes it have a sense of levity. Yeah. So I think for me, it's the, it's, it's just the scenes where someone is in a precarious situation with a soup and they just know this person could kill me at any moment. Like those, it's like more, like a lot of the scenes that freak me out more are more psychological now than violent. Because now it's the threat of the violence that bothers me more than the actual violence itself. Like, yeah. I would rather Homelander just punch. Oh, I was saying when he con- con- uh, confronted Deep after his TV appearance. Like, you thought, oh, he's about to, he's about to melt Deep right here in front of everybody. Yeah. Or he's going to torture him. Yeah. yeah. Right? Which, I mean, watch more of this season and, you know, you'll see some really interesting stuff. But... Again, a lot of the most, even, and then this isn't like later episode spoilers, but all the moments that made me most uncomfortable weren't because of the violence. It was because of the threat of violence. And it would be, you know, even Homer, like he, he lit up his eyes at A-Train. Like, it was scary that he didn't go through it than if he had just done it. Like, if he had killed him, I would have at least had a sense of like, oh, thank God it's over. Right? And like, no, he doesn't. You're just like, oh my God. He threatened <laughs> this and now he's letting you go and now you're just going to keep walking on eggshells because you don't know what the hell is going to happen. Like, to me, that's scarier. Like the mm. threat is scarier than the actual violence itself. And then when it uh, so and then when it comes to sexuality or not sexuality but sex scenes in the show, they're also they they're layered with other stuff uh, because we know just how sociopathic or messed up all these characters are. Uh, in addition to the superpowers that they have. Um, so the one in episode one that, you know, kind of like made me cringe and smile at the same time is when uh, it's revealed that Homelander's uh, Nazi girlfriend is still alive. Uh, I forget her name. Storm. Stormfront. Stormfront. Yeah. Stormfront. Very on the nose. She's. Yeah. <laughs> so Stormfront is like, you know, still burnt to a crisp, missing limbs and stuff. In a hospital bed on life support, probably in Homelander's home, and Homelander goes over there. He's griping about how he's being dethroned and declawed and all this stuff. He's losing his stature, um, and we know we know from past seasons that he's got some serious mommy issues, and he <laughs> likes to role play with lovers as as his mom and you know all sorts of weird stuff like that. So he comes in whining. And with Stormfront, he lowers he lowers the hospital bed with the remote control <laughs> and puts her just at crotch level so that even though she's lying prostrate in bed and missing some limbs, she can still put out her hand to give him a tug. 
right? And so he can continue to like, you know, just grimace he just about use, he just everything. Use her to gratify himself and complain. I'm just like, <laughs> and she's doing that because, in part, because she needs Homelander to be the poster boy for her Aryan nation, you know, agenda <laughs> and is trying to curry his, continue to curry his favor and still be relevant and for him to keep her alive. Uh-huh. And, you-, <laughs> you know, she's like, she's trying to do some sort of duty. And then, and then he, he like doesn't finish. Like he can't, he can't go through with it uh, because she ruins the moment the with Nazi all the Aryan stuff. talk. <laughs> she was too much of a Nazi for him. Like, that was no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's too much. <laughs> no, and he's literally just like, no, stop it. <laughs> like he, It's this, funny. There's like a moment where we all identify with Homeland that we're just like, yo, stop with this Nazi shit. Like, chill out, B. I'm not into like, that. You hate, him in like, every, you hate him in every regard. But when he says that, there's a moment where he's just like, thank you. <laughs> He's, no. he's about himself. He's not about that the was, Nazis. That whole interaction between two awful people was hysterical because he's awful. And then she reminds you about why she's so awful. <laughs> it's two incompatible brands of awful. <laughs> and that's just great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so much yuck. It's hilarious. <laughs> no, that was awful. Savan, you wrote this question. The boy seems to be taking a lot of shots or or makes references to current real world social media social justice ideas some they're getting into a little bit around like brutality by police and law enforcement ending you know racism there's certainly talks about like drugs and their effects in the drug war and i think that's going to come actually in more in like episode two and three than it does in episode one but is that stuff working within the context of the show savan did you did you have any thoughts on that because actually i don't think it's as apparent in episode one episode mm-hmm. one is really just the the grab you by the the cojones uh, yeah. episode. So the only thought I thought in, I think in episode two, a train makes a, a pitch um, and we can talk about that. So here's an interesting thing about the boys. And again, this is what something that makes the boys distinct from actually any other superhero, really anything I've consumed the more I think about it, including invincible the boys. And I, and I say this more so about the show than the comic, the comic doesn't do this at all. And I like raked them across the coals for it. Cause the comic's awful, but the show does this really well of, and I hate to even use the word woke because people use it as a pejorative just for talking about like just discrimination in general. Yeah. But the boys does a really good job of not erasing history. I think that's a better way of putting it, right? Like maybe it's not them having an agenda, so to so. Some people might interpret it that way of, oh, we have to talk about, you know, racism and all these things and, you know, internet, fake news, that kind of stuff and social media. But they do it in a way that I don't think they're trying to make a right or wrong point, but they're not going to pretend that this isn't a real thing. Like even A-Train, right? Trying to like rebrand and lean into like his more like, a, you know, into his like his black roots. That's not like, yeah, that's a shot at people who clearly try to use, who try to tokenize themselves for profit and stuff. But it's not really like you'll see more with his story. It's not really, a, oh, this is right or wrong. It's just saying like, hey, in this world, these are things that happen that can and will happen. And. I appreciate that because it adds a bit of authenticity or, you know, there's references like there's references to like, I'll say there's a conversation that a train has when he's back with his in his neighborhood, with his like with a family member. And they make a reference to something that's like a police brutality reference involving soups. And it part of me wants to say, oh, it feels ham fisted. But the other part is like, is it or is this just 
a real thing that happens in real life. And this is what it looked like in a world like this. And maybe you're only uncomfortable because you want these things to be erased and not talked about. The show doesn't erase history when it's relevant to things happening with the plot. So, you know, even in previous seasons, they talk about the drug war. They talk about racism, sexism. They talk about even having to work with people. You know, like there's a lot of stuff about sexual assault and pre- like, you know, the deep's entire thing. Like people forget the deep's whole story starts with him trying to assault Starlight, right? Like, the show does a good job of just not pretending these real world things that happen don't happen. And it's very easy for shows like even Marvel, when they try, it's very easy to just ignore that dynamic altogether because it can make people uncomfortable. I but think the, boy- the show is not, you, you walk down the fine line of like, oh, you do these horrible things, whether they're racial violence or sexual assault or whatever. And then it just becomes part of the show and it, nobody like criticizes it. Right. It just sort of becomes entrenched in the show. Um, they don't do that here right that all of the like whenever they've had the women talk about like sexual assault like you get a sense like how traumatizing it is for them even if the perpetrators don't see it that way right so it's important that the show does that as well it can't just be like oh like we're just gonna have this we're gonna show awful things yeah yeah which the comic was 100 percent guilty of like it was just gratuitous and didn't make a point The show, they're better about it. But yeah, the big thing is like they don't whitewash. They basically, when they're referring to history and things that happen, they don't whitewash things at all. And again, like, you know, we're talking about like Japanese internment, right? Like so many movies that talk about World War II and all that, Japanese internment never comes up. And it's just like a, it's a very subtle form of whitewashing that's just like, hey, if you're going to talk about this time period or these events, give a holistic picture of it. You don't have to go in with an agenda necessarily, but let's they take into account there's a lot of perspectives and people who've been influenced by it. And, you know, I think you'll see in some of these later episodes, the boys is getting really good about that, which again, it doesn't even feel like a superhero show anymore. It feels like a drama, a revenge drama that just has people with powers in it. Not the other way around. All right. So let's go ahead and start wrapping up our conversation around the boys. What do you have any big predictions for where this show is going. I mean, it's so bonkers that like it's really hard to have bold predictions, but if you have any, now's the time to drop them in. Brian, do you have any predictions? They already had the biggest prediction in episode <laughs> one. Uh, I feel like in the rest of the season, like that's only going to be one up, two up, three up more. So I'm okay. I'm expecting another really really wild set piece. In, in the latter half of the season uh, that is just going to, I don't know, I, I think it's 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 going to be one of those things that will be a call, will become a calling card for the boys. Like, remember when the boys went there, they're going to go there somehow. And I imagine it's going to involve Homelander really, really going off his chair, right? Um, we've already seen it happen. We've been constantly talking about how menacing he is, you know, with other members of the seven uh, who knows what he's going to do. I think at at some point, all of that's going to come to a head where, you know, I think he's probably going to get confronted by a lot of the supers and also people with new superpowers, courtesy of V24. And there will be there will be some sort of, you know, all out wild thing where we're left with a lot of exploded bodies. That, that's what I'm imagining. Yeah. I don't think it's a bold prediction to say there's going to be more exploded bodies, but that's that's 100% where they're going to go with this show. 
<laughs> this show is ridiculous. I mean, it's just so absurd, like the way that ev- all these bodies get exploded. I mean, in episode one, we see a body whose like neck and jaws exploded. So, but their eyes are still like a little bit alive just for like a few moments. But they're like to drive the point home of you're dead like and you're dying leaking. but you're here yeah like you can see like the blood still pulsing like whoo good times this show is the weird kid in high school who everyone is like wow what a weirdo and they walk to the beat of their own drum but everyone respects it because they know who they are yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. Well, are you like is this the kid you super cool with no but you respect like hey they know where they're at yeah compared to you know other shows that are so busy trying to be so many different things and it's like oh you're just trying to appease whoever you think will yeah you're trying to be the cool kid trying to be the cool kid not just like be yourself just be yourself yeah book of boba fett (laughs) (laughs) the boys is being itself let's let's be very clear about that so if you haven't checked it out yet and you enjoy season one and two season three so far has been just way more over the top even than it already was i think but still it's been a strong show i i haven't been able to look away i'm actually excited to continue to watch this show i wasn't (laughs) looking forward to it seeing the first episode i was like man like i actually do want to keep watching this this is this is going places the the amount of tension that is building is good homelander as that source of tension in a bunch of different directions and introducing the congresswoman at the end of last year and her being part of this is really interesting and there's now a bunch of different factions there's like the the government side of it there's the super side of it but the soups are like split up into to different sides there's uh what's his name giancarlo esposito is that his name yeah, uh, Gustavo. Stan Edgar. Stan yeah. Edgar. Stan Edgar. His his role is very different, right? He's obviously coming from like a more corporate side, but he clearly has a great presence and gravitas whenever he's in a scene. Um, and he's just like, I don't, I don't give a crap about like Homelander. He's not the threat to me, right? Like, and how is that possible? Like, this dude could just melt you. That's that's an incredible amount of threat that he just doesn't seem to care about. So I'm interested to see like how they leverage that and how they use his strengths throughout the show. Yeah, man. I don't know. Right now we're going to be on three seasons of just Homelander being a ticking time bomb where you wonder like, yo, so when is he just going to like just snap and just fully send it? He still hasn't done that for three seasons now. And somehow they still manage to keep the show engaging. Like you would think, all right, bro, like this has been like a standoff of him about to flip out for years now. When is he going to actually flip out? And I don't know, is this the season? Maybe. He's pretty, from what I've seen so far, I feel like it could be, but who knows? This show does a really good job of using plot to subdue powerful characters who otherwise break power scaling, a.k.a. Homelander, who could, you know, end the world, but still just has a bunch of checks that stop that from happening, specifically his pathological desire to be loved. (laughs) Yeah. His mommy issues. (laughs) Well, and he, but he's losing a bunch of his tethers right now. Well, exactly. So, yeah, he loses one of his tethers in this show uh, or in these one of these recent two first episodes. Um, the the lady who was in charge of, of Vought is no longer around. She was a great source of, um, I don't know, love for him or whatever. But she, yeah, that was his like handler. She was manipulating yeah. him when he was young. Like and we know that Stanley Edgar is trying to phase all of them out. Right. Mm-hmm. So at at some point everything's gonna come to a head. An exploding head. Okay. Our second segment of the day. Hi Brow. Hi Brian. Brian, you're bringing us some kind of content or things we should be into as we're just the plebeians, but you're coming in with a sense of 
I don't, I don't know what to call it. What, what would you call it? A sense of taste, you know, sophistication. Gentlemen, sometimes there are finer <laughs> things in life that one must experience. And I have descended. I have descended from my perch above the clouds <laughs> to bestow this upon all of you and your sophomore tastes <laughs> to try to <laughs> elevate them. Use the word sophomore. Right. This is no longer confidently wrong because I'm confidently right. <laughs> uh, so, in this segment of Highbrow High Brian, I wanted to talk about a sci fi show that maybe not a lot of people are watching, but have heard about, but should be watching on Apple TV Plus, uh, a service. Sixth place. Sixth place service. None of us uh-huh. use. <laughs> However, I, I have recently started my free trial so I could watch this show. <laughs> so I, and it was worth every free $99 <laughs> I spent. Uh, for Severance. Uh, the show Severance. Oh, okay. From our friend uh, Ben Stiller of Zoolander fame, who is a director and key executive producer of this show. It's and he's done a, a phenomenal, incredible job. He has so much. Is he acting or is he directing? He's he's directed most of the episodes. He's executive producing, uh, but he's not an actor or appeared in it. He he does not appear in the show whatsoever. He I mean he has really shown that he he is a top notch creative through and through. Right, like he he do this. He can he can jump in from any genre uh, and get it done properly. And, uh, you know, with utmost skill and craft. And so Severance is Severance is actually a sci-fi show, uh, which is another reason why I think it's important that we discuss it here on the podcast. I so thought Severance, it was about losing your job. Severance is actually, it's a <laughs> workplace show. Uh, I mean, it, in a way, it's about losing your job, right? So... Dark, dark. So it's uh it, it features Adam Scott, who we know from Parks and Rec, Leslie Nope's boyfriend. Love him. Uh, you know, you know, great actor in this, particularly making use of his his doughy like office vibes. And so he he plays a worker at a big tech company called Lumen. And at Lumen, they have new technology that allows employees, if they elect, to be severed. And what that means is that they insert something into their brain that severs their consciousness between their their personal lives, their personal self, and their work self. So that every time they take the elevator to go into the basement where Adam Scott works, his, his work self turns on and his personal self turns off. So that he, in the working environment, in his office, that, that work person only knows the work world. They know they know their name. They know general facts about the world. They have, you know, their general motor skills and everything, but they don't know anything. They they don't know they have no personal memories. Uh they have no history. Uh none of that. They just have their personality. Um and so that they can go and do their road job in a cubicle in this windowless basement labyrinth of an office at this giant med tech or biotech company and then when he takes the elevator at five o'clock every day he switches back to his personal life and has 
you know, you know, has a normal suburban life that is on a completely unaffected by the uh, the work environment that, you know, he just committed eight hours to. And so severance is about that separation, that bifurcation, if you will, between <laughs> our work big dog words. Yeah, I'm trying to get you. This is real work life balance, though. <laughs> so. Yes, it's essentially taking work-life balance to an extreme. <laughs> and the show executes at such a high level, you know, it's it's truly a pitch-perfect show from the cinematography where every frame is a painting. It's, it's, you know, artfully composed and very carefully, precisely shot so that you don't get some random camera movement or just like people milling about. Everybody is situated precisely in a in a framed way, they use all the lines from the office to frame people up. They use the labyrinth corridors really well. And there are twists and turns that is always showing you just enough and just what you need to know and sets the mood, always tickling the eye. The acting and performances are stellar. You know, you got these, <clears throat> you know, great, great Adam, Adam Scott, who's carrying the whole thing. But then you have people like John Turturro, Christopher Walken, Patricia Arquette, who are doing these idiosyncratic performances with their side characters. Um, you've got all the quirky humor that you might expect from Ben Stiller, like some laughable things happening in the way that the office selves treat the office, right? They're like hallowed about the office. They quote the office handbook like it's biblical scripture. And it's it's just silly. They're like robots. They're yeah, exactly. They're they're automatons, essentially. And so they got all this quirky humor, but at the same time, this show really is a thriller. It's a psychological thriller because, as you might expect, human automatons at some point are not happy, right? And so this, this show is about, it's about the workplace and the working, working environments, and we all have a work self. You know, we are being dehumanized, and in this show, they're literally dehumanized uh, by that working environment. And so throughout the course of the throughout the course of the season, you know, things come together and all those automatons try to take control in their own hands because they realize like, hey, you know what? There's a life out there. We exist and we deserve more. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting on that level. And so uh, watching the show, I was so refreshed by it because it's, it's really unique and original, but also because. It's been a while since I've seen a science fiction show like this that just like felt really prescient. Of course, it's well executed and all of that. It's finely crafted, but it's also got that extra bit of juice that makes it so much more interesting than other sci-fi that I've been consuming. And it made me think, why? Like, why is that? Like, what is it that makes sci-fi not just good, but really great and memorable? And so, gentlemen, I want to present to you my grand theory about what makes a good <laughs> sci-fi great. And I'm going to present unifying theory of sci-fi. I'm going to present three tenets that I've learned from Severance that I think are applicable to some of our greatest sci-fi out there. Okay. Um, and so, one, and perhaps the most important tenet, and by the way, I'm calling this tenet in honor of the movie Tenet, another great sci-fi. <laughs> So new technology or scientific discovery has to be at the core of the plot. And it can't just be a detail 
in the world that the show exists in. So, you know, like a FTL drive happening in the show, sure, that's science fictional, but that is not the core thing that that show is about, right? Where, you know, their FTL exists. That's a detail. On a show like Severance... FTL, is that faster than light? Faster than light, exactly. Okay, okay. Or warp speed, right? Just just because like warp speed exists in the show does not mean that that's what the technology or the science, that's not at the core of the plot. In Severance, it really is about being severed. And there are people in the outside world, outside of the, the office workspace, who are up in arms about this technology existing. And so there's a real conflict uh, in the real world about, you know, what this means for everybody. And then, it, you know, if you think about other great sci-fi, if you think about like Inception, the idea of Inception is really at the core of that of that movie. Like they are harnessing Inception. They're they're showing you they're showing you this technological advancement and what it means for everything else that happens in that story. Blade Runner is the same. Blade Runner is the same with replicants. Um, and Avatar? so. So. uh Mm, is Avatar great sci-fi? Questionable. No, but about the technology, technology, the technology the being so like the, the technology core is at the core. Yeah, yeah. I so like this tenet, though. I like it a lot. It's at the core of the plot, and and a corollary to my first tenet, it changes a world that we know or at least can understand. So wait, but this sort of uh, would you say then that like Star Trek fits into here? Sort of. Right, like Star Trek sort Star of... Star Trek, so it's sort of a world we understand. So Star Trek is a space... So I might, I might actually say Star Trek might be a space exploration show. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily about some new technology. They do make discoveries. Right. So like I think like the individual episodes of Star Trek are really great sci-fi because usually in those episodes, there's a discovery, right? There's a planet or something... They learn about the Borg, the Borg function in some sort of way, and it changes how we understand how we understand the world or society. And so that to me, that's important. Right. So it's got to be like at the core of the plot and changes, you know, how we understand the world. And so like so Dune as a counterexample, you know, like I don't know, you could argue that spice is is like the the new scientific discovery or whatever in that. But it doesn't really change the world that that we can know, right? That's that exists in its own sort of, you know, fantasy realm. Like to me that that is kind of more of a fantasy epic than core sci-fi. Huh. So so like I think that's a key thing here. All right. And then because it changes the world that we can understand, it has impl- implications for how society is organized and asks then and thus begs questions about how our own real world society functions. So in severance, obviously, right? Like they're changing the work that that new, the severed procedure is changing the work dynamic and it's forcing people to confront questions about work-life balance. And so that's asking questions about our real selves, right? Like we all know that there's, there's office savant. 
Well, actually, you guys don't really work in offices, right? So maybe <laughs> no, I mean, some of this... no, no, no. There's definitely work Savant and yeah, there... private citizen Savant for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's... For sure. Bust your ass, Savant. That's the... <laughs> there, there's there's Savant Jones and there's yeah. Captain Vonnie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's hey. hi. How can I help you today? And yo, what's happening yeah. with you? Yo, what's <laughs> yeah. Let's get it. There's there's serious code switching like all Absolutely. the time. Yeah, but this oh, tenant okay. this tenant holds true for a lot of different genres in that their ability to hold up a magnifying glass to our own society is really important and really is the strength of those genres. So I think you're right. Like fantasy does this really well, right? In that casting different races or different species as actually allegories for our current situations around race, especially in America, but, you know, across the world. And, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about what was it like, you know, Southern Hemisphere nations, I, I don't know, developing South, right? Like the, whatever yeah, yeah. nomenclature we're using now. Um, it's it's all of those things. District nine holds up this you know this this mirror or a, a lens through for us to kind of examine ourselves mm -hmm. without maybe the discomfort and shutting down that we have around our current day perceptions around race. When all of a sudden we talk about like black people and white people or you know Asian folks um, or native folks, like people already like have preconceptions and they sort of already entrench themselves. Whereas new new works of fiction can create these categories and you don't have any of those preconceptions already yeah. Yeah. our nation bad you know united yeah. states empire good <laughs> yeah. like for some people you gotta show them you know if you check make it an allegory it's more yeah which i guess yeah. Yeah, to your point brian same with like the avatar airbender series right bending is like such a fundamental part of their world that it drives everything that happens and that's part of what makes it good yeah absolutely i and like this i like this framework a lot man this is a really like this is making me appreciate a lot of stuff like, oh, yeah, that did work. Because you're right. It changes the status quo of that world. It just fundamentally is different, but still familiar. Yes, absolutely. It, it needs to be familiar. And actually, I think some of the greatest sci-fi resent, like the closer it is to our actual live experience, the more, you know, the more impressive, the better the, the sci-fi gets. Um, and and the sci-fi aspect, I think, is really the chaser uh, to you know some of that analysis. But I, so I think the one key nuance of my second tenet about society, though, is that whatever that new technology or scientific discovery that's introduced in the show or movie or writing or whatever um, is is the thing that changes the society in context of of that sci-fi so um so like uh well, uh what's a good example um i'm trying to think sorry i'm having a like serious brain fart right now you can cut this out but anyway so so that's the second tenant has has implications for for society but then it's got to go one level deeper, just like Inception, right? And so what elevates it again is that whatever, whatever that new technology or scientific discovery is that is driving the, the whole series or show or whatever, it's, gotta, it's also not just ask a societal question about how we organize our societies, but it's also got to have the metaphysical question. And so the metaphysical question is, you know, something about, you know, uh, you know, something philosophical that is kind of unanswerable, right? So like in severance, it is 
you know, if we if we turn off our histories, right, and our pers- our basically our everything that makes us into a, who we are, are we still a person? You know, do we? You know, are we still human? Do we still exist, and thus have all the things that humans ought to have, right? Um, in let's say in the Matrix, right? Like one of the you know biggest questions is, you know, if uh, you know if I if I am a battery for the singularity, essentially, if a human is a battery for the singularity, like the bigger question is. Well, what it what is it that makes us human? Is it is it the the free will uh, to have all those experiences, or are the imagined experiences enough? Is blissful ignorance better? Also, another question that the Matrix raises is: everything a simulation? Like, can a, can we still like be who we are if we just if everything that we're experiencing isn't even out there? It doesn't even exist, right? So, like those bigger questions really can help catapult a good sci-fi into becoming a great sci-fi and those questions have to have to really like come from whatever that that new tech or discovery is oh another great one minority report that was the one that i was looking for for before minority report if we know that something is going to happen in the future do we have any free will right um and then also like what what sort of responsibility do we have uh if we already know what's going to happen you know to to prevent it um so interesting questions like that and then in that world they organize society around around that ability yeah yeah it's a fantastic so movie. yeah classic classic great sci-fi so i feel like you know if you know what makes you know what makes something good great these three tenants from yours truly. So next time you're watching, look out for them, uh, and you'll realize you'll you'll like start to realize like oh yeah, this sci-fi, this sci-fi is good. This sci-fi is is real good because it is it is ticking all the boxes, right? Um, oh, another great example, Her. Top Gun, the original. Um, terrible example. <laughs> so New tech, the movie fighter jets, no. Changes the world as we understand it, right? Air superiority has implications for how spy is organized, right? Should the bullies always get to be the top dogs or can the underdog win? Metaphysical questions, you know, what do we do when our best friend dies? Like, do they still exist? Can they still influence our actions? Done. Best sci-fi. Awful. Are you, are you just shilling? Are you just shilling for the U.S. military? Did they just send you a check that you just help yourself for that plug? Also, Talk to me, goose. Talk to me, goose. To take your to take your example seriously, <laughs> the movie does not address how those fighter jets actually change the world order. We do not see that on screen. Sure, it, do, it doesn't happen. Sure, at all. But I will say, I was going to say her great classic sci-fi uh, about uh, AI and a Siri-like device that goes above and beyond to really understand the human that they're working for. Completely changes society, uh, and and how that our character Johansson? functions. That's Scarlett Johansson. Great voice choice for an AI, um, and it actually is <laughs> ra- raises raises some serious questions about uh, personhood and and our interpersonal relationships. Like, 
what is is that actually what makes a, a relationship good just the you know an algorithm knowing us really really damn well and and delivering on all the things that we know that we want is that all the interpersonal relationship is um so yeah, just beat me and hug me and we good yeah <laughs> cracked they've cracked the code damn it <laughs> we are we are mammals at heart you know, just that, whatever tickles that little caveman part of my brain. <laughs> All right. Well, as we wrap up, are there any things you want to add, Brian or Savan, uh, to our highbrow, hi, Brian? Severance on Apple TV Plus. We're going to advertise for it right now. Go see it. Go see Adam Scott be pitch perfect, as Brian said. Um, and shout out to my sister, Alexis, who has been trying to get me to watch this show for a while now. Um, I've just been really busy and I got rid of my Apple TV Plus a while ago. So I need to uh, hop back on that over maybe over the summer. Um, but she has been she has been on this one, Brian. So you and her are on the same wavelength here. Codify She's your a tenants. connoisseur of good taste. Yeah. What'd you say, Savan? Codify your tenants, Brian. Got to get those in writing. We got to make sure we put that in stone so we can send it out to the people on the on the, on the social media. Right. I need it with a high. I need an R Ryan with a circle. <laughs> I'm saying I need like, the TM on this. Yeah, put the little <laughs> the trademark, trademark that joint. I'm saying it's a confidently wrong. Exclusive. Hell yeah! All right, well let's go ahead and end our show there. So we definitely got into the boys season three. Highbrow, high Brian talked about severance. Upcoming on some new shows that we have planned for you, we're going to get into Ms. Marvel, which is dropping on Disney Plus here in just a little bit. And, you know, hopefully we'll have our uh, our fourth Kyrie Irving, you know, Mike Smith uh, appearance. We'll, we'll have him back on the show. So it'll be good. Can't wait to have Let's him make him a feature. <laughs> Featuring FT period. Uh, <laughs> it's like a Wayne feature. He got he's got he's got to be like the rappers on the song where there's like a sound effect and he has. A hey, but the features the features are the in. way to go. That's how you yeah get exactly. Paid. That's yeah, how you get paid. Like the, he could be the Rick Ross of Confidently Wrong. He just comes by, does oh, Andre Three Thousand, just comes by, do a hot verse, and then we don't see him for like five years. Just leave him wanting more. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mike, as far as, as, far as I know, we're not getting paid to do this, so uh, you know we. I don't know if we can afford a feature at this point. (laughs) Metaphorical dollars. Uh Uh-huh. We'll see if we can afford Mike's feature rate. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, we love you, but we miss you. Also, you know, stop planning weddings around, you know, our podcast or when we do our podcast. It's a crop of help, Mike. We miss you. (laughs) (laughs) Laters. Bye. (laughs) At confidently underscore pod Instagram. Hit us up. Talk to Savan. He'll talk back at you. Promise. Bye.